So we will be in the book of Nehemiah in our, in our uh, first morning sessions this week. Uh, I'm grateful to everyone that could join with us, everybody that could be a part of the conference this week, uh, just to take time to make sure that, we're, that we have, that we're keeping a mission focus. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's very easy for us to, to get Laodicean in our mindset, um, the way we live, where we live, how rich and increased with goods we are. You know, it's a lot of work just managing our stuff. <laughs> so it's good to just get, get away, get apart, and uh, have times like this where we can reset. Tonight, uh, it, you know, absent Christ's return, we're gonna be uh, graduating three students from LFBI. That's pretty exciting. Uh, Jeanette Bachage graduated, she graduates tonight, but uh, had, a, had a, 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 a positive COVID test, so she couldn't get a flight from Kenya to come be with us. Uh, so that's a bummer. We're, we're gonna see if we can get her on Zoom tonight and, and, and Zoom her in for the graduation. And then we're, we're uh, Lord willing, you know, we meet tonight, we're going to be ordaining Mitch Dobson uh, to the office of pastor, and so that will be, that will be exciting, so you want to you come and be a part of that. Um, you know, Nehemiah, it's a, very, it's a very versatile book, it's used for a lot of topics. Uh, there's a story here, but, but the book of Nehemiah, it's used for capital campaigns, building campaigns, leadership studies. I mean, there's just a lot of utility in the book of Nehemiah. As a matter of fact, Pastor Morgan is writing a book on, on uh, the associate pastorate from the book of Nehemiah. Okay, I'm getting flagged here. If you did not get a handout or a notebook on your way in, you can put your hand up and the Connections team will hook you up. Okay, you didn't get a notebook. Uh, for your notes this week. You didn't get a handout for the sessions. Just raise your hand. They'll work through the room and, and just keep your hand up till, till they hook you up. Uh, so there's a lot here in the book of Nehemiah. Obviously, we're not gonna be able to cover the whole book in, in three slots, three class times in our morning. So we'll just get to what we can. Uh, this week will really just be a, a start, just an introductory look at the book of Nehemiah. And I had to come to peace with that because I can't cover, I, you know, the more, I, the more I dug in Nehemiah, as it, as it parallels church planning, uh, the more gold I discovered. And, and so we'll just look at a few, nug, a few nuggets this week. Um, and I, I, you know, we'll, we'll cover the front end. Let's at least do that, because that's kind of where we're at as a fellowship anyway. Maybe there'll be other opportunities to look at more aspects of, of church planting and the parallels to that in the book of Nehemiah. But I want us this week to focus on the vision and the work of church planning. We need to plant churches. We need more churches with a faith-based view of the Word of God and the work of God, don't we? That was weak, but by the end of the week, we'll, we'll have your heart. We're going to trust the Lord for that. There are a lot of issues that come up anytime you're working to take new kingdom territory, where you're working to establish a kingdom beachhead. There's issues that's going to come up. Because anytime you're taking kingdom territory, you're, it's not going to be uncontested. The enemy is going to try to check you. And so over the next three days, I want to walk quickly through the book of Nehemiah as much as we can, as much as is possible. And in faith, I'm, I'm just going to take, just, you're gonna, we're going to trust the Lord. You're going to give me liberty. Uh, it's going to be a very devotional approach. 
I'm gonna take a lot of liberty with the text. I wanna just lay out the principles. There are parallels that I've noticed in the passages. And in faith, let's just trust that God will speak to our hearts about being sold out to the purpose and the proposition of building the kingdom, the kingdom of God, that we'd be willing to hazard our lives for the work. See, there's some kings here today that need to send with and need to send supply with blessings and resources. Some of you kings need to hear the call of the Spirit and you need to be willing to put your money where you say your priorities are and you need to support the work of multiplying ministry around the world. There are some Nehemiahs here this morning that need to get broken, that need to get full of faith, that need to stop talking about it, just giving lip service to it, and they need to be willing to go Move forward in faith and do the work. Be the leader that God's called you to be. To to, to start dealing with the messes that come with it. Get involved in the lives of people. There are some helpers that need to be willing to go and join these works. Others need to see what God is doing and get serious about whatever it takes in supporting new works so that they can thrive. And some will do it at great personal risk. Is God worth it? Is the gospel worth it? Is the kingdom worth it? I'm always reminded of God's perspective of people who end up martyred building God's kingdom and, and, and God's take on it is the world wasn't worthy of them. Uh, their priorities were aligned with God. Young man, I'm, I don't know exactly who I'm talking to this morning but please listen to me. God's call is on your life. And his call on your life isn't just for you to attend a good church and just to marry a good woman and have some good kids, all funded by a good job, so you can enjoy the good life that God's privileged you with. You were made, you were designed by Almighty God to be a willing, to be a living sacrifice. You exist at his pleasure. You exist for his service. You exist to build his kingdom. Romans 12:1. everybody knows it. It's so hard for us to live it. <laughs> I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You were made to be a part. You were made to fit, to be part of building God's kingdom. And it's critical for us as stewards, as servants of the Most High God, to see how our life falls out to that purpose. How is my life falling out to the building and the magnifying of Christ in his kingdom? How does it help? How does it support? How does it fund? How am I praying? How am I leading? How am I a part of what God is doing in this world for his glory? Because if not, if you can't answer that question, here's how I'm a part of of serving into Christ's kingdom, well then you're gonna have problems for the rest of your life, Christian. Why? Well, because you're trying to live the life that God gave you to use the resources that he's entrusted to you, your body, your mind, your position, your wealth, your talents, how he's wired you, all that God's entrusted you, you're trying to live it and use it all for yourself. Got a good wife, good kids, good home, good job, funds it all, thank God for my boat and the lake on the weekends. Self-willed, self-fulfilling, self-focused, mark it down. You will make a miserable antichrist. It'll be, I mean, you can try, but you won't enjoy it because you were made for so much more than just living your life for yourself. Uh, I was a college pastor uh, for nine years, I think. 
a college pastor for nine years uh, in a, in a, here in Kansas City in a mega church, and, and I used to tell young people all the time, right now you're nobody, please don't get offended at that. Uh, don't shoot the messenger. Right now you're nobody, but you're gonna be somebody. Right now you're going to college to figure out who you're gonna be, what you're gonna do with the rest of your life, and here's where the older generations, here's where they end up. They end up living their life and trying to serve God with their leftovers. That's what they end up trying to do, and it doesn't work. He is a jealous God. He'll have no other gods before him. So don't waste your life trying to live it solely for yourself. That will make for a miserable Christianity. Can you see how your life is falling out to God's kingdom? That's all that matters. Don't waste your life. So be careful. You're going to be somebody. Be careful who you're going to be. I tell people here at Midtown all the time, I don't want to just play Christian I don't want to play church. I don't want to just go through the motions, holding services and, 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 and making sure we all know what, 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 what we should be thinking, what words should be coming out of our mouth, and we just end up living our lives for ourselves. And nothing's happening to, to see souls rescued from the bondage of sin. Nothing's happening to see Christ's kingdom, the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, multiplying. It's like, uh, it's like the warning in the Bible. There's a form of godliness, but no power, no reality. I don't want to do that. I don't want to waste my life. I want to do the things that my king has called out over my life. I don't want to play at it. I want to walk in the reality of it. And the problem is, though, is, you know, I live in Laodicea, and I got stuff, and, <laughs> you know, it's a, I, those, those smartphones are portals to hell. You say I got a porn blocker on my phone. Well, you still go down the rabbit hole, don't you? Uh, for me right now, it's uh, somehow they know. I love watching people build stuff at, at and I didn't even know I love this, but I love watching people build stuff at like 50 speed. <laughs> like I'm vicariously, I built that deck in three minutes. <laughs> you know, like I built, I built that mini house in three, and they just keep pumping it into my feed, and before I know it, I've been down the rabbit hole for a whole hour. That's an hour of my life I can't get, get back. I didn't build anything. I just wasted my life thinking about, yeah, I could do that. It's just like, ain't nobody got time for that. You were made for so much more than just living, wasting your life, living it for yourself. So I'm begging that God, I'm begging God, I'm begging that, that, that he'll make some to hear this week to hear his call on their life, that they'll see the need to give of and to give of themselves to the work to submit to God's use of them to build his kingdom. Some of you, you'll never leave your local church because that's where God has you. But he'll use you mightily to expand his kingdom. You just gotta see it. So this week, this is not gonna be a verse-by-verse exposition as much as just I'm trusting God to expose some parallels to the biblical principles for church planning uh, any, in, any initiative expanding God's kingdom from the story of Nehemiah. And so really, we'll just be skimming the surface and I'll trust you uh, for your grace in that. But there's so much parallel, there are so many parallels, so much parallel application here in this book. And then I just want to trust the Lord to, to maybe tell some of the story, how we planted MBT and, and some of the issues or challenges that came along with that uh, as we're able. So can I just pray for you and and then we'll start in Nehemiah chapter one. Father, Lord, um, we need you. Um, 
like we were just singing. God, you can do anything. So Lord, you can break down the excuses of Laodicea. You can break down the, 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 the reasoned explanations for why uh, we gotta live our life our way and, and it all fall out to just our benefit. Lord, who is gonna own the mission? Who is gonna own the responsibility to make sure that ministry is multiplying for your glory? Lord, for our pastors, Lord, would you burden them that, that every member under their care, that they'd be desperate, that they enjoy fruit at the judgment seat of Christ, that, that every member of our local churches would have someone that they can point to and say to them that they're their crown of rejoicing. Lord, for the growing leaders, for the growing ministers, God, would you protect them, protect their heart, help them to be wise. There's so many snares, there's so many devices, and the enemy is so good at getting people who are coming up in ministry derailed and then focused on <laughs> living their best life now. Lord, protect our, our little sisters. There's so many young women who are so on fire for you and they're making disciples and then they marry some lazy, selfish, self-interested bum. Uh, but he goes to church and he talked a good talk, but there's no fruit in his life. And, and then how many times have we seen it, Lord? Uh, titans and ministry shackled to some weight. Lord, I'm begging that there would be great examples of the, the exception to Laodicea. And so Lord, would you speak to our hearts? God, would you have your way with us? Lord, you can do anything. And so you can capture us for your glory. And we're trusting you for that this week. All in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, so in Nehemiah chapter one, we see Nehemiah. And it's the month Chislu. This month falls in our really we've come to the end of it. It's in the November, December time frame of our Gregorian calendar. He's in Shushan the palace because he's actually a big deal. Uh, his brethren, right, uh, his brother Hananiah, or Hanani comes, he and certain men of Judah, now watch this, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And so the first thing I want us to see is those that God uses Right, they're looking to be used. Looking is your first blank. And here's the key. Here's how we know that Nehemiah was looking to be used. He didn't ignore the problem, he inquired about it. He wanted to know what the need was, what the issues were on the ground. Anybody who has God's heart for his kingdom, those that will be used, they inquire. They're all about it. They wanna know what's going on in the field. They want to know the condition of the work. They want to know the conditions of the field. How are the people doing? What are the needs? What are the keys to making a difference? They inquire. The setting here is that Jerusalem, right, is suffering because of the captivity, okay? The, I mean, Jeremiah declared it. Everything happened. The prophets declare it. It happens. Um, I mean, Jerusalem is, is sacked by, by Babylon and, and, and they're under the judgment of sin. And it's bad, 
The conditions are terrible. It's, it's total desolation. It's completely hopeless. And who can do anything about it? Who can make a difference whenever the mess is just so big, the problems are so great? What can anyone do about it? To do anything about it, you might as well try to lead a bear, a grizzly bear, to Christ. So that's the story, right? There's a priest, a preacher, and a rabbi. They both claim that they're the best at what they do, so they each go into the woods, and the objective is to find a grizzly bear and attempt to convert it. And then later they get together to report. So the priest gives his report. He says, well, when I found the bear, I read to him from the catechism and sprinkled him with holy water, and next week will be his first communion. The preacher, right, the preacher says, I found a bear by the stream, and I preached God's holy word. The bear was so mesmerized that he let me baptize him. Then they both look down at the rabbi who's laying on a gurney in a body cast, and he says, you know, looking back, maybe I, I shouldn't have started with the castration. <laughs> or I'm sorry, the circumcision. I messed up the joke. <laughs> they don't castrate their boys, they circumcise them. Huge difference. Okay. <laughs> Messed up the joke. Okay, here's the deal. It's bad. It's really bad. Uh, how bad was it? Well, it's so bad, nobody wants to know. Because what's knowing going to do about it? To know, I mean, can anybody actually really do anything about it? Can it make a difference knowing? God shows the reality of this in the book of Jeremiah. Okay, remember Jeremiah, right? God's declaration, you see it in Jeremiah chapter 15. Jeremiah talks about Jerusalem getting a beat down over Manasseh's wicked leadership of God's people of Jerusalem into sin. And, and they're going to be decimated and the result will be nobody cares. Jeremiah 15 verse five, for who shall have pity upon thee, O Jerusalem, or who shall bemoan thee? Or who shall go aside and ask how thou doest? How come nobody wants to know? How come nobody cares? How come nobody's asking? Because if you know, if you ask, that might mean personal responsibility. If I know about the problem, I don't want to know about the problem because if I know about the problem, I might actually have to do something about the problem. Better not to ask, better not to know. Because what I don't know, I'm not responsible for, but that's not Nehemiah. He finally is the answer to God's question in Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse five. You ought to just put that in the margin of your Bible in Jeremiah 15, five, Nehemiah, that's who. He inquired, he wanted to know, and so here's the key. We need to be men and women that are all about God's kingdom. That means we wanna know what's going on. We wanna know how to pray. We wanna know how to prepare. We wanna know how to give. We wanna know how to go. We're all about it. So we gotta, have, we gotta be informed. So they, they give the information. Verse three, they said unto me, the remnants that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, so there's a remnant under reproach in a broken place. The gates thereof are burned with fire. And then look at Nehemiah's response, verse four. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And so let's talk about getting a kingdom burden. The first thing that has to happen if we're gonna effectually have a kingdom burden is we gotta hear about the need. We have to understand the need. If we're gonna plant churches in places that will make a difference, we need to hear the Spirit's call. 
We need to get a burden over the affliction and the reproach of people who are suffering due to the wickedness, the lostness of sin, and they're living a life in broken places, right? These walls are broken, the gates are burned, they're helpless and defenseless before the God of this world. So for me, okay, so how did, how did a church planting church sprout at 40th and Walnut? I mean, how did that just happen? We, we didn't just one day get an idea, hey, I know. Uh, how about we take a hillbilly and then plant a church in the hood? <laughs> that makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, you didn't know that. Okay, so you thought I was so smooth and I was so suave and I was so sophisticated. Maybe not. Okay, I'm, I am a legit bona fide hillbilly. I grew up in the Ozark Mountains, literally ran barefoot on flint rocks, wore overalls, and I had a straw hat to keep the sun off my, off my, my body. I, redneck, hillbilly. Okay, so how, 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 did a, how did a church, a, a, a soul-winning, disciple-making, leadership-equipping, sending, church-planting church, how did that sprout at 40th and Walnut? Well, I'll tell you how. I was in a church like this one, and I was in a conference like this one, and, and uh, for two years, okay, so KCBT, we had what was called World Outreach Celebration, and the last two years we held that conference uh, this would have been 2004, 2005. We were preaching on reaching the city for Christ. Uh, we brought a guy in from New York and, and he was, God was using him to decimate me. And I'm the college pastor at a mega church. I'm content, I'll, 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 I'll work there till Jesus comes back, whatever the Lord wants, I'm in. And this guy is preaching on the condition of souls in urban centers and, 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 and the need for the gospel in urban cores. And, and I'm listening to this and God's breaking my heart. And, and so what do I know about it? I mean, I'm a, I, I know about milking cows. I know about, I know about bottle feeding calves. I know about, you know, butchering pigs. And <laughs> God got a hold of my heart. And uh, in both of those conferences, uh, 2004, 2005, I said, God, I, I don't remotely know how I could be of any use in an urban setting, but I'm willing. I'll do whatever you want. And I went forward and I got on my knees. I, you know, I'm, I'm one of the staff pastors. I don't care. Uh, I'm leading the college and young adult ministry. I don't care. I don't want to be guilty of not being sensitive to the, to the call, to the leadership of God's Holy Spirit on my life. And so I went forward and I got on my face and I just poured my heart out to the Lord. Lord, you know it's crazy. And in my mind, what I'm thinking is, is I'll support whatever he's doing. Whatever we do as a local church, we've got a lot of young people, we'll support that. That's what I'm thinking will happen. And uh, typically, the way that it would work is we would, we would do a missions conference and we would have already all of the initiatives, we'd have all of the mission trips lined up and those last two years, we didn't have anything together. We had a mission conference that was theoretically about a mission, but we didn't have any actual initiatives to do anything about the word that we just got from the Lord. And so we went a whole year just kind of in, in missions limbo over the urban core. And the same thing happened in 2005. In the summer of 2005, we had a pastor's meeting. What are we gonna do? 
to get the rubber on the road, you know, in, in reaching this city, reaching uh, the, the hurting in our urban core for Christ. Um, in uh, two, 2004, early 2005, I had presented an idea of just going to the urban core to make disciples. Let's start Bible studies and outreach services uh, to win people to Christ, and let's do that as KCBT. You know, we're kind of on the border between the urban core and the, and the suburbs. Let's just be missional, and let's start, let's start Bible studies. Let's start outreach services in the urban core, and, and nobody had peace to take that approach. So in 2005, we, we had a pastor's retreat, and we're, we're, we're talking about ideas and ways to, to reach the city, and and uh, all of the guys are, we're kind of in a big circle and all the guys are sharing their ideas and we're talking about food drives and painting schools and, and we did all of that, we did some of that, we ended up doing all of that as a church and, and, uh, and I just purposed in my heart, I'll support whatever we come up with as a local church, I'll just do that. And uh, another pastor, a friend of mine, uh, Pastor Harris, he said, well Miles, what were you talking about in terms of Crosstown Missions? And I'm like, well we already talked about that, we're not doing that. I'm gonna support whatever, whatever we come up with as a local church. And uh, you know, Harris, he says, well, just, just, just give the five minute version of it. And Pastor Jeff, our senior pastor, he said, yeah, just real, real, quick, real quickly, give the five minute version of it. And uh, so I laid it out, an idea for Crosstown Missions. Let's, get a, let's start a Bible study somewhere in the urban core, let's make some disciples and, and see what God does. And, and uh, all of the pastors said, yeah, why don't we do that? And the senior pastor said, yeah, let's do that. Let's make that one of our initiatives. And I'm like, oh, oh no, because I don't know anybody in Midtown, not one person. I don't know anybody in the urban core. I don't know anything about it. But I'm like, okay, Lord, you're, you're working, you're moving. I used to have a map over my desk at work of the Kansas City Metro. And this is just how clueless <laughs> I am. I literally don't know anything. In this map, I just looked north to south, east to west. I just folded it twice on my map. And in the center of that, I put in a push pin. And then I did the math on it. And I drew a, a circle around that push pin that was a mile uh, in, 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 uh, across, a mile, uh, a mile wide. And, and I just prayed over that all the time. Lord, I don't know how. But uh, if it would please you to see souls saved and disciples made somewhere in there. Uh, I, I wanna be a part of that, I wanna help. Whatever that looks like, I'm, I'm in. Um, and so the push pin was actually 40th and Main. That's where the push pin was in my, in my, in my map. And so when, when Pastor Jeff said, yeah, let's do that, I couldn't get back to Kansas City quick enough. Uh, we got through the weekend, Monday morning, first thing, man, I, I, I drove to the push pin. It was a, I'll, this is one of those days I'll remember for the rest of my life like it was yesterday. I drove to the push pin and I said, okay, God, I'm here. Now what? I need a place to do a Bible study. You know, I, I, need, a, I, need, I need some people at peace or something. I, how do I get a foothold in this place? And, and I looked up from my short little prayer there at the red light at, at 40th and Main and I saw a for sale sign on the corner out here. And so I'm like, okay, so I wrote down the number real quick and I looked all day, holy smokes, even back then, real estate, very expensive and I'm thinking, I'm gonna have to go through one of these park areas and just knock on doors. Um, we've got some mansions real close here. So I'm thinking, would one of those guys let me just 
invite people off the street into their home. I don't see that working, but, <laughs> but I may have to do that. I don't know. I mean, whatever it takes, you know? I mean, um, long story short, and, and, and maybe there'll be time to tell some of those stories, but, but we ended up in this place, um, the, the very first place at 40th and, and, 40th and Main. Uh, you can throw a rock from the corner of our property and hit that, if you're a good aim, you can hit that street light where my push pin was at. I didn't know anything, but I knew that I wanted to be a part, and if it would please God to use me to see souls saved and disciples made, then whatever that cost, whatever it took, I was willing to do the work. And come to find out, God was in on all of that. (laughs) He, uh, He was in in a big way. So how can you respond if you can't see the need? For two years in a missions conference, I got my heart shredded seeing the need, seeing the hopelessness of the lost outside of Christ, and except God does a work, except God pulls a miracle, what can we do about it? What can a hillbilly do about anything in the urban court? Who would talk to me in an inner city environment? I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've shot the, 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 the Ozark accent for the most part, but you know, at the end of all of it, none of that matters. The real question is who will give their lives to the work of the Lord? That's the question, who is willing to own it? to own the need. Notice God's heart, there's principles, you'll see it, just Jesus reveals it in the Gospels. You just get, you get God's heart for the helpless. In Matthew chapter 25, uh, inasmuch as you've done it unto one of them, the least of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. Uh, that's God's heart for the helpless. You see it in Luke chapter 10 with the story of the Samaritan. He went in to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And Jesus' comment is, is, that's my boy. It's the Samaritan. So do you have ears to hear what God wants to do with you in a lost and fallen world? People who are in broken places, defenseless before the God of this world, victims of their own sinful condition. Who will own it? Who will own the problems? Verse four says, and it came to pass when I heard these words, I sat down, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So you have to hear and understand, but the heart has to be broken. Uh, We can't do it if we've got hard hearts. Our hearts have to be broken over the need. So he stops, he sits, he weeps, he mourns, he fasts, he prays. This, in other words, the need arrests and consumes the totality of his life. And I want you to see the danger right here. Because if you do see the need, if you know about the need, then that means personal responsibility. Again, the mentality is better not to ask, better not to know. If I don't understand, then what I don't know, I'm not responsible for. But the need is overwhelming. We've got brothers and sisters who suffer all over the world. Right now, persecution against believers is growing rampant against our brothers and sisters in places like India. I wanna just throw up a few pictures here uh, from Christodos. We work with Christodos in the center of India. It's in the Hyderabad area, uh, helping to train pastors. Uh, He's got several hundred pastors that he's training and and we're trusting the Lord to do there what was done in in Orissa with Pastor Pradeep. And and, um, and, uh, you know, what happens is, is believers 
they move forward in faith and the Hindus get upset about it because people are converting and, and they work to intimidate them. And so I'm, I'm showing not all of the pictures, some of them I uh, wasn't super, com- I mean I'm, I'm gonna put up a rough one here in a minute. Uh, but, but our brothers and sisters are being beaten right now in places like India because of their faith. Go ahead and bring up the next slide. Uh, being, I mean, look at the hematoma on this, uh, this brother's arm. I mean, being put in a hospital and, 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 and many are being killed. Uh, go ahead and, and bring up the next slide. This is a pastor, Pastor Muncie. He was conducting a, a prayer and fasting meeting this last summer in 2020. And uh, he got finished in the evening around 5.30 p.m. and a group came, six people in all, Three of them were women. They, they took the 30-year-old pastor, this 30-year-old man, they bound his hands behind his back. They took him a half a kilometer away from his home and shot him dead. And this is our brother who was martyred because he was working to build God's kingdom. Uh, the village, you know, the Hindus didn't approve of his bold faith and, and so they killed him over it. And this leaves him with a, a wife and four young children and and, and there's need, right? The, 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 the need is very great. Now the good news is, is there's already, that we personally as this local church work with, there's three Nehemiahs in country. Go ahead and, and, and this is Pastor Chris Sidos. Uh, his son Danny and now his daughter Bethany are with us. Uh, you saw Danny helping to lead worship last night. Danny was on bass. Is there an instrument that Danny can't play? Danny is a musical genius, okay? And then that's his little sister, Bethany. She's with us now. Um, uh, they attend UMKC. They're getting their, their degree there. Um, but, but, but there's a Nehemiah who is owning the need. He's owning the condition of the people. There's another Nehemiah. This is Pastor Pradeep in Orissa. And same thing, in the villages in Orissa, the, 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 the believers will be persecuted for their faith. Go ahead and bring up the next one. This is Pastor Ganesh in Mumbai. So there, you know, we have a relationship with Pastor Ganesh in Mumbai. Many of you have made trips to go be a part of, of, of that work there. Uh, Doug, how long do you think they were there that night just saying hello to all the churches that support them? Um, man, but can I just tell you something? These guys are always sending messages saying, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for the work. Um, I, three days ago, I just posted a thing. Mission Focus starts in whatever, three days, and, and there's Pradeep. Uh, we're praying for this conference in Orissa. You got people who are being beaten because they're proclaiming the truth that Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There's only one God, and they're being beaten for that, and at the same time, they're praying for you that you'll hear from the Lord this week. It's a great need. Uh, you saw the people that were, that were persecuted for their faith. Uh, the consensus is uh, we just don't know another way and, and Pastor Chris Sidos in the Hyderabad area has, has, has talked to several people and, 
And really, if we're gonna train the pastors, we need a place to just kind of do it on the down low, to do it in secret. Uh, they need their own training center so that legally they can keep everyone else out. They got a place that's by invitation only. Uh, but when it's all said and done, let's just be realistic, okay? Everything's through the roof right now. It's gonna take a half million dollars to buy land and to put a building up uh, that will actually work to, to, to house these guys and to start a school that, that, that we can do training so that good doctrine and, and the gospel can thrive in, in villages. Well, there's some kings that are gonna have to fund that. There's just no way around that. Some kings are gonna have to say, uh, I wanna be a part of moving that forward. We've got another Nehemiah uh, who, is, who is willing, and he knows it, he's all about it. He's, he, 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 he wants to know what the burden is because that, that need is gonna be his need, and that's Pastor Doug. Doug, could you just stand up so everybody can see who you are? Uh, Doug, when do you go? When do you go? So February 7th, Doug goes, well, they're, they're probably not gonna recognize your backside. Could you just do a 360? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Pastor Doug, right? Uh, Nehemiah, uh, going to be with the people and to help what's broken in places like India. Thank you, Doug. Uh, anything, just willing by God's grace. Who are the kings that will send? Who are the people that will support? Who are the people that will own India? Even if you never go, you're gonna faithfully pray like, broken, brothers and sisters are praying for you. Who are the people that are gonna make sure that the work of, of expanding God's kingdom in places like India, that it thrives? Jeanette Bichage, uh, she is in Nairobi. She has been in more churches. She has attempted, we've, we've, we've trusted God for a place for her, a local church, for her to make disciples, to conduct a biblical philosophy of ministry, and, and uh, man, <laughs> We're just done, we're tired. She, she thought she found one and uh, they, you know, it's, it's probably too strong to say they lied on her, but, but they were all about disciples. No, they weren't. Uh, they didn't want anything to do with discipleship in their church. Okay, well, what are we gonna do? Jeanette's got 20 people in Bible studies now. Uh, what are we gonna do, give them to churches that won't let them make disciples? Who, who's gonna own that with Jeanette? Who's gonna lay down their rich and comfortable life in the king's court and go help build a church in Nairobi? Who's gonna go help in South Sudan? They got people being trained in the ministry, but there's not a model church in South Sudan. Who's gonna go and establish a faith-based work that's got a faith-based view of God's word, a faith-based view of the work of God, and see a disciple-making ministry thrive? Who's gonna, I mean, there ought to be, Dallas is a key city, there ought to be 50, Soul winning, disciple making, leadership equipping, sending church planting churches in the Dallas Fort Worth area. That is a key city, man. They're just sending people from all over the world in Dallas Fort Worth area. Uh, who's going to help? Who's going to hear the call? I'm going to give up my life of comfort and convenience and I'm going to go help. I'm going to go plant a church in Dallas, in Denver, in Boston, in Vietnam, in Ireland, in Hungary. Who's going to help make sure that the expansion of God's kingdom takes place? Can I just tell you this? It won't be you if you can't weep over it. Anything that you cannot truly weep over, you're not going to give your life to. Anything that you can't Invest your emotion in. You're not gonna effectively give your life to that endeavor. If you're not ready to commit your life to the work, if you're not willing to give yourself to prayer over it, um, from the beginning here at MBT, I am personally convinced the only reason we made it is we have a corporate prayer ministry meeting. 
And we're trusting God, we're counting on God, we're calling on God for the reality of his word over our ministry. Notice he fasted, right? So it's not just weeping, but the same thing goes for cheeseburgers. If you can't walk away to pray, you're not there yet. Well, I'm sharp, I see the need. Just cut me loose, I'll show you a thing or two. Uh, No, that's not it. Nehemiah was broken over the field. He saw the need. What is worth your tears? Uh, We get weepy when we watch made up shows about somebody getting hurt or disappointed, and it never happened. But we'll weep at a movie screen. But uh, I see that sister, and her body is beaten because of her faith in Christ, and what's worth it to you? Can't you see the lostness of man outside of his kingdom? Can't that move us to tears? So you need to understand how God's wired us as his stewards, okay? Our position with God, our stability, our blessing, his provision, that should move us to help those that lack. Because that's what Nehemiah had. He's got a position, he's got stability, he's set like Chet for life, and it moves him to tears. Our salvation should provoke us to go and share it. This position of, uh, of blessing and privilege, this position uh, 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 of, uh, uh, you know, just really, God, I mean, what do we have in Christ, man? Everything, we are set. It ought to provoke us to go and make sure other people are provided for in the gospel of Christ as well. See, Nehemiah was somebody in captivity, but that didn't keep him from seeing that there was a work that was worth him laying his life down for. He had a position of blessing and actual power So how's he gonna respond to a bunch of, (laughs) I mean, just a dystopian gutter dwellers in a busted up Jerusalem? How's he gonna respond to that need? See, here's the danger, and this is the spirit of our age. We have a Laodicean mindset, and you see it all in, in Revelation chapter three. The Laodicean mindset is we're rich and selfish, and we're independent from God. We don't care about his agenda or his will for our lives, not Nehemiah. He's rich and increased with goods. He has need of nothing. But he knows, take the totality of who he is and all that he has, and he can't do anything about the condition of souls in Jerusalem except God does a work in and through him. He didn't give in to his Laodicean position. He got broken over the mission. You know, if you're not given to a mission worth tears, well then guess what? You don't really see the need, because the need's there. If we see it from God's perspective, we'll weep. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. So Nehemiah does. If you're not really ready to lay down your life, that's because you don't see the need. Now some people are saying, no, I'm all in, give me the pastorate. Well, it's because you wanna be in charge. Give me a gig, let me be the big dog and I'll show you what's what, I'll show you how this thing should really work. And you never want anybody to Christ. You haven't had a ministry multiply ever in your life, but oh, you know, people should give you the pulpit, they should give you, you know, your own church for you to just run in the ground because you gotta be the big duck. Who's gonna weep over Vietnam? Who's gonna weep over South Sudan? Who's gonna weep over Kenya, over Boston? Who's gonna, who's gonna see the need? Who will recognize that the mess and the need is just too big that God himself must move? Who will give themselves to the work of weeping, mourning, and fasting for the mission? Who's gonna own it? God, this problem's my problem. What would you do in and through my life? God, you need to move. We need your power. And so notice he prays. Man, when we're not praying, that's a, that's a pretty bold claim to be prayerless. 
Get this down in your notes. Prayerlessness is just your claim of independence from God. God, I'm good, everything's said, I don't need you in my life. Satan is so good at giving us, getting us to give up on the mighty weapon of prayer. Satan's attitude is, man, you can be all about your local church, be busy with church stuff, have good doctrine, engage in your local church activities, just don't do anything in the power and the anointing of Almighty God. If you can just have the form of Christianity and churchianity, well then he's fine with that. But to get a hold of God in prayer and to see God move and work through his people, he will work overtime to keep you distracted. So check this out, verses five through seven. Prayer starts with confession of sin. Notice Nehemiah's prayer. He says, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant. This is, uh, this is good praying right here. Which I pray before thee now, day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We've dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou, commandest thy, uh, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. In other words, God's worth being right with, and the mess that we see, whose fault is it for the state that we're in? People say America's going to hell in the handbasket. I mean, ups, down, goods, evil, evil is good. Whose fault is that, church? Whose fault is it that we're in the condition, the state that we're in? See, our prayers have to admit that the world's in the shape that it's in because we as God's people haven't cared about the word of God. In other words, we haven't really cared about what God's wanted from us all along. We're happy to go through the motions. We're happy to have a form of godliness, but no reality of it in our life. So there's gotta, at some point, we gotta own it. This world, it's in a world of hurt. Uh, it's Because I'm not in. <laughs> Forgive my sin. Prayer continues with making a biblical case. Verse eight, remember I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, if ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. Check, we're seeing that. But if ye turn, turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out to the uttermost part of, of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and, and will bring them unto the place that I've chosen to set my name there. So, okay, t- you know, how, Yeah, it's a mess, but God, I have you at your word. You're not willing that any would perish. Your will is that all would be saved. And so I make a biblical case, whether it's for my community, my school, the Bible study I wanna start at work. I make a biblical case. God, I already have you at your word. Yeah, it's a mess, and I'm sorry I haven't owned it yet, but here I am, I'm owning it. God, would you work through me? And, And I know you're not willing that my friends at school would perish. I know you're not willing that, that our brothers suffering in places like India, but they'd not do it alone. Uh, I, I'm in, okay? So now what? Look at verse 10. Prayer concludes with a call for help. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O oh Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name we, want, we, just want, we just want to be used. We just want to be right with you. We just want to be all in on what you're doing. And prosper, I pray thee, this servant, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy 
in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Oh God, you can use me. Man, brother, sister, that's it, that's everything. To come to the place where I see it, I see the problem, I'm gonna own it. God, I know your heart on this. Lord, you can use me. Hear my prayer. Oh God, you can use me. You know, there's 12 prayers in the book of Nehemiah, and at least, minimum, at least nine of them are by him directly. He's probably participating in more. So what do we have here with Nehemiah? It's pleading prayer. God, please use me. It says in your word that it pleases you to use the weak and foolish things of this world. I can't tell you how many times I've told the Lord that. Uh, Lord, thank you that I'm qualified. (laughs) You can use me. Uh, a hillbilly, you can use me for your glory. If it pleases you to use the despisable things of this world, Father, can I just submit exhibit A? And would you work in and through me for your glory? Would you just do what only you can do? I love the story uh, that, that Adrian Rogers told one time. He, he was, this is the beginning, right before his ministry really took off, and, he, and he's just praying, God, I want you to use me. And his testimony was, is he didn't feel like he was communicating well, what was in his heart. You know, God, I want you to use me. So he got on his knees, and, uh, and he said it again, God, would you, would you use me? And he felt like he wasn't expressing himself well enough, so he got flat on his face, and he prayed again, God, please, I want you to use me. And he's out in the middle of this field praying, you know, and he says like, he just still felt like he wasn't doing a good job expressing his need of God to work in and through his life. So he said, what I did is I poked a hole in the dirt in that field. I just poked, made a little hole there, and I stuck my nose in it, put my face flat down with my nose in that hole in the dirt, and I said, okay. He said, I said, God, I've gotten as low as I can. I've humbled myself as much as I know how before you. God, please, I want you to use me and you know, we'll see at the judgment seat of Christ how many people came to Christ through his pulpit ministry. Um, but that's the posture that Nehemiah has. He's humble, he's dependent, he's determined for God's blessing. You know, the guy that's gonna go out in ministry and show everyone, he's gonna fail. Or worse, worse, he'll succeed and he'll have a big, fat, shallow work that will not withstand persecution. The early church, they weren't I mean, they didn't have all the tools. Their their social media strategy was, I mean, horrible. Um, Their marketing strategy, I mean, they didn't didn't have anything going on in terms of human ingenuity and wisdom, but but where they had a lack of of what, what, what today would be a premium on organization, well, they had a maximum amount of power. Uh, Walter Knight, said the average church today has a maximum of organization but tragically lacks power. Dr. G. Campbell Morgan once warned, one of Satan's methods today is to start so many organizations in a church that the members have no time for unhurried communication with God. Many Christians are so busy that they can only hear the clink and clatter of church machinery and good luck with that. You know, I get it. Uh, this This is the way the cycle works. We're desperate for God to use us. We get humble, we get dependent, we call on the Lord in faith, and God moves. And then there's fruit. And then before you know it, we've, we've gone through so many cycles of this. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, you, you, you fast, you pray, and then all of a sudden the spiritual nursery is full. 
and you're just spending all your time prepping, feeding, changing diapers, taking care of babes in Christ, and, and before you know it, you've gone from a Mary dynamic in terms of your relationship with Christ, just setting at the feet of Jesus, walking with Christ, being intimate, being in fellowship with him, to we're Martha in the kitchen, and we're mad at the Marys because we've got all this work to do and nobody's helping, and oh man. I uh, thank God for Martha. I mean, so, so Jesus wanted to eat. We need Martha. We need the Martha work, but not at, not at the expense of the Mary relationship and the time at Christ's feet. Everybody knows the, the story of the power of, of the, 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 the sermon by Pastor Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Everybody knows that story. It's very well known how the congregation was deeply moved as John Edwards preaches this sermon and, and, and people, I mean, just starts revival. He had the manuscript held up close to his face when he delivered that sermon. They couldn't even see his face when he preached that message. He's, hold, he's, he's, he's reading the sermon like this to God's people. That, that, that's how that went down that day. But, I mean, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit on that message, it was just, it tore people up. And uh, people were in repentance. Uh, people in the church, uh, they, they, they almost got out of control. One man sprang up, he rushed down the aisle, and he said, Mr. Edwards, have mercy. Others caught hold of the backs of their pews because they were afraid they would fall into hell. Okay, everybody knows that story about how a church realized God's righteous judgment was over the sinner. Everybody knows that story. And uh, it changed the course of this country, of this nation. But what so, people, what so few people know is the secret to that sermon's power. Uh, some believers in the vicinity there where that sermon was delivered in Massachusetts, they became alarmed that while God was blessing in other places, that he should in his anger pass them by. And so they met the evening before that sermon and they spent the whole night agonizing before the Lord in prayer. And the rest is history. And you'll, you'll hear stories like this over and over again. Brokenness is the key. Nehemiah is broken over a problem that he can't do anything about, but he wants to be a part of what God's doing in that need. Uh, you have to come to the end of yourself. God uses broken hearts. Anytime you wait on the Lord, in humility and dependence. God, without you, I can do nothing. But Lord, with you, all things are possible. Uh, I, I cannot tell you how many times I have said to the Lord, God, I'm, I'm just pastoring a little church in the hood. Without you, I can do nothing. We'll just hold services. But Lord, if you'll work in and through us as your people, then you can use a little church in the hood to rock the nations for your glory. And uh, man, praise the Lord. It pleases God to use a weak and a small people. And again, I mean, we're just a bunch of Laodiceans. I mean, we live in Laodicea. Uh, we're a bunch of Laodiceans endeavoring to, to, to act like Philadelphians and, <laughs> and to trust God to work in and through us. And, and man, praise the Lord. We got to plant a church across town in Lee Summit, uh, a church in Tampa, Florida. We're planting a church in Boston. Uh, we're trusting God to do the same, uh, to assist and, and to plant churches in places like Kenya and, and Dallas and Denver and Laramie and, and Vietnam and, and South Sudan and, 
And what, what can we do? I mean, we, we're a little church in the hood. We've only got so much budget. We've only got so many people. You know, God, we serve a God who can multiply loaves and fishes, who can make a barrel of oil just go and go and go. Um, who cares about the budget? Who cares about the resources? We serve a mighty God. Uh, it's like uh, that scene in, in Braveheart when we realize the stakes, you know? It's like, well, what are we gonna do today? I'm gonna go pick a fight. Let's just, go, let's just go see what we can do. Let's just go see how God wants to use us to expand his kingdom for his glory. Well, all of that is powered by prayer. Praying is never a waste of time. Nehemiah starts right. He gets humble and dependent before the Lord. It's the best investment that you can make with your time and your life. Psalms 27:14 says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more tomorrow, but, but before I was able to come and plant a church at 40th and Walnut uh, with a team of wonderful people, uh, God had to bring me to a place where I was broken and realized that I could be very involved in church activity and completely waste my time and waste my life. Except God builds the house, my labor is in vain and I don't want to waste my life, I and, and anybody that's with me in ministry, I'm desperate before the Lord that they don't waste their life. Um, there's been a lot of pleading prayer. Oh God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on the idiots who followed me to 40th and Walnut. God, please, have mercy on them. If not for me, for them, would you do it for them that they would have fruit at the judgment seat of Christ? <laughs> uh, but, but before all of that, uh, there, had to, there had to be brokenness. I mean, a man, everything from being broken over sin, broken over our city, broken in my back, broken in my body, broken in my lack and in my need. Um, man, but that's, the, that's a really a beautiful place to be, is to realize that without him we can do nothing, but with him all things are possible. We serve a mighty God. And the last thing that he wants is for his children to waste their life or waste their time. So let's be full of faith. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for this time that we have together. Lord, would you bless us as we engage in our break. Uh, bring us back to the, to the breakouts uh, with, with strength, with focus, with attention. We wanna get everything that you have for us this week. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.